Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Arlen Hamilton is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital and the author of It's About Damn Time. Backstage Capital is a VC fund focused on women and people of color. And while she's quick to resist taking credit, in raising this fund, she accomplished something quite miraculous. From grit, perseverance, and writing hundreds and hundreds of emails, all while homeless. In fact, Arlen has experienced homelessness and food insecurity for most of her life. She's highly intersectional. She's a black, gay woman who grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. After hustling in the music industry for many years, often without a home address, she decided she wanted to be in a position to write checks and fund other people's dreams. And she pulled off backstage capital against any number of headwinds. Through it all, she is ridiculously humble. She believes that you never get to where you're going alone. Arlen refers to herself as a keymaker, not a gatekeeper. Her venture capital seed fund works to minimize funding disparities in tech by investing in high-potential founders who are people of color, women, and from the LGBTQA community. They have raised over $7 million and invested in over 130 startup companies. And more recently, Arlen co-founded Backstage Studio, which launched four accelerator programs for underestimated founders in Detroit, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and London. Arlen has an extremely wise perspective on many things, including adaptability. Arlen reminds us that one of the most powerful things we can do is be wrong, own it, and change our minds. I'm not going anywhere. I know that they want me to, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep talking, keep speaking out, and I'm going to keep doing that while backing that up with here are here are the receipts. Here are here's the traction that I have. Here are the companies that I found that go on to do well. Here are the bigger and bigger and bigger checks I can pull together. 
I'll let Arlen take it from here. What a time, right? To be, I mean, as, as I would imagine that everyone is asking you for advice and you're probably tired of giving it, but I mean, you guys are sort of it, right? In the VC world in terms of your focus and mission and... Well, I am definitely getting a lot of advice. I'm also offering it to people, whether they like it or not. Uh, (laughs) So that's happening. And I don't say that we're it. We're definitely front runners. We're definitely people who people know about because we've been doing this work for so long with the same thesis over and over again and, and not straying from that. But there are absolutely others who have been doing it too in different ways. And so it's a lot. And I think, it, you know, this ec- the economic side of things is so important. And I'm just, I'm in my lane, but I'm in overdrive. Yeah. No, I can only imagine how acute and strange this probably is in some ways of like, welcome to the party world. And mm. also trying to, you know, I think your book is so powerful for many reasons. Where are you at in this moment in time? I, th- I, I am a lot of things all at once, like many, many, many of us. And especially I think the black people I have talked to who are who have a like a larger voice but I can't imagine it's even it's even worse for those who don't so I feel very fortunate in that respect I'm everywhere because there are so many intersectional things here I just Mm -hmm. can't even begin to to list them all ultimately I do believe this is a different type of thing that's happening I think that it I don't know that too many people can sweep this under the rug this time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that'll be allowed this time. It is just going to, and I'm so grateful that it is, it's going to change things as we know it fundamentally. And I hope for the better and I believe for the better because I have to, I have to believe for the better or I don't know exactly where to find optimism if I, if I, and hope if I don't. But I do see it. I see it, you know, they're right in this moment. Yes, there are people who are being stubborn and digging their heels in. And this is just another excuse for them to bury their heads in the sand. And that is all happening. And they're all politics and all of that. But I think over time, and I mean by that, the next few months, you will start, you will see so, so much. Because think about how different the last few days have been. And I know than before it's just something is different something is is very different it's shifting and I also feel like I am I'm I'm pulling a few directions because I have a very strong opinion a very strong opinions about this as a black woman and I also feel like there's an opportunity to for people to to be better and Mm -hmm. learn and so I've been kind of throwing my myself into intervening and and trying to be a mediator and trying to do this and that and and that comes with a lot of that comes with a lot it with it's a heaviness yeah because you have to be more than one thing at once and that's what that and that's a hard thing to juggle so yeah I just think there's so much to it It, it's it's because it's 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 really difficult to describe we both understand that like we're both having trouble describing it because it's just like (laughs) 
it is so many things at once and it, it's so easy for people to take a sound bite and and make that your thing that you said you know yeah and so that's why it's like ah oh, but i have to explain this and i have to explain that to yeah this but ultimately i do i do really feel optimistic I feel optimistic too. And I think this in combination with COVID is just shaking a lot of people out of the way that we've been engaging with our lives, which is prioritizing our own comfort and convenience over the impact, the decisions that we make. We're all being reminded, and in your perfect sort of example of this, that it's all there. Everything that we need to know and understand is available. And we need to stop being expecting to be spoon fed life. We have to stop sitting back and assuming that people will tell us what we need to know. So going to your story, I mean, you, it's, incre- it's incredible. But as you explain, like, it's there, you just have to find it. Yeah. And I think when it comes to the race relationships and the what is going on right now that is so important. It's just like when we talked about the Me Too movement and we talked about women and what men needed to do. We understood that women needed to be leading the conversation and we needed to be heard, but mm-hmm. that nothing would really change unless men got together and talked about it and changed together. Yeah, That's the same way I think this has to happen with race because black people are we are tasked with like cha- like being our own heroes and our own champions and f- and fixing all the ailments and having the answers and all of that and it really is going to take not only publicly like you know putting out your hand to other to white women putting their hands out to black women and 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 I love that by the way but it's not only that it has to be when you're having brunch, when you're having your wine meetups, when you're like frazzled at the end of the day, even though all of your life is, you know, whatever it is, you you know, you have to make those moments where you say, look, we have to talk about this and we have to be honest and say, have we done anything in this Mm -hmm. little group of ours that we could do better? You know, how can we be better? And I think when that's happening and that's happening with white people, behind closed doors they're having conversations they're reaching out they're looking up things like you said they're not they're not just like texting their friend and saying how do I do this this and that they're actually doing the work themselves that's when things change and if you think about it I don't think people think about this very often so a lot of people are like you know I have a business book that's out and it's like it's also a memoir it's also self-help but they just become that but it's a business book at the heart of it and I've had a lot of people that reach out to me and they're like can I, do you think my white guy friend would read this? He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor. And I'm like, do you understand that every single book I read about being a business person came from either a white man or a white woman? Mm-hmm. Like you, your, your guy is going to be okay reading one or two books by black women. <laughs> like it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I walk into rooms all the time where I'm the only black person there or yeah. the only woman there all the time. So it shouldn't be too difficult for all these intellectuals and all these you know people who are who think of themselves as as you know that type that type to pick up a book or two and educate themselves like you said. Yeah. Just talking about the con- in, in the context of Me Too and how that was men's responsibility. It's and this again might be sort of the echo chamber of my own 
Instagram and my own community, although I've seen it sort of in the conversations happening around the schools that my kids go to, it is seems to be, and I'm curious if your experience has been different, it seems to be white women and brands that are led by women who are sort of taking the initiative here. I've seen a lot of silence from men. And the content of your book being a business book and and you being one of the only VCs who's a woman, there aren't that many female VCs and 90% of capital going to white men, it's really interesting how it's it's almost become this, not a side fight. Clearly, it's like the entire country is engaged in these protests, but it does feel like it's a, a, a lot of white women are the ones who are standing up to be accountable for it. And I'm curious if the men are, are, are also going to get on the mat. I mean, there are more visibly, there are more white women that I have seen who have said something, who have, you know, a lot of them have done, have like fallen on their words and not, not saying what they think they should, you know, a lot of people think, but then they come back and they, and they, they try. And so there is that. And I think that's always been the case. I remember sitting, I was in on a plane and, you know, it was first class and I was on a, on a trip across the country and I sat next to this white man for six hours who I wish I hadn't, <laughs> but I was sitting next to him and he said, you know, we talked a little bit because he, he didn't take the hint with the headphones. And <laughs> he said, he said, you know, after I told him what I did, he said, you know, I, I feel like I can tell you this. I think that white men are the most oppressed people in this country today because we get it from every direction. We're always blamed for everything. It's this, this and that. Now, when he said that to me on the plane, a few months ago, I laughed in his face and I made sure I laughed heartily so he could hear it and make sure he, well, there's no mistake. But I also know like when people are being earnest and they come to me and they say, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, don't cry over me. But the fact is, if I say something as a white, straight white man online about anything, I'm going to be, it's going to, somebody's going to say something to me. And so it's like, I think they're just retreating, you know, they're just back and I call it being in the bunker these days, you know, they're just mm -hmm. like, uh-uh, not gonna do that, I'm, go I'm not going out there. And I feel like there are, there are some, though, who are, are kicking butt, like you think about The Rock, uh, mm -hmm. not that he is, I mean, he's a man of color himself, you know, but uh, he he has a lot to to lose by shaking things up and, and rocking the boat. No pun. So and hit for him to speak <laughs> out, I think is really cool. And you have all these people, you have all these people that I've, I've heard about who have done something. I, I think that white women can kind of lead either for better, you know, for better, or for worse, they can lead white men. So yeah. a lot of white women voted for Trump, and I personally don't like that. <laughs> you know, yep. there's probably a lot of people who listen to the podcast who have different opinions, but you know, a lot of they did, and for whatever reason, they did, and that kind of leads things. And by the same token, they are the ones, the first ones that are going to be like, "I'm going to go out, and we're going to not only am I going to go out and protest, I'm taking the kids. We're going to yeah. teach them that this is not the life, this is not the world that they need to grow up in." Yeah. And there's something about that. And I just think it's like there's a bravery there. And white women owe a huge debt to black women 
in terms of the entire feminist movement that was led by black women. And as much as I want white men to come in and stand up too, I also, it's like, it's kind of amazing to watch it happen amongst women because I, I do think it's, you know, like call it the divine feminine and we all have the divine feminine and the divine masculine, but like that's what we need right now is mm-hmm. that sort of leadership and to sort of take our power, collectively take our power back. And I don't know what the, what percentage within, within Backstage, like what percentage of the companies that you're invested in are, are consumer facing versus B2B? Oh, it actually, I mean, we have 130 companies and I think at last check, we were kind of split down the middle with that, with a lot of things. I mean, yeah. So it it really is, it's either 50-50 or 45-55. Interesting. Because, I mean, you just think about women as being, you know, primary consumers. And I think, and, you know, and it's in, this movement is interesting, too, in the context of, and you talk about it in the sense of like, looking forward to the day when a you're not the only woman or only black woman in the room but that you're also not and I'm sure you're I'm sure that it's beyond this now but but that you're not being asked to speak on panels about diversity right where you're actually you're asked to speak about like how to raise or oh things that I are mean, widely <laughs> before COVID it was still happening yeah, but in the in that context, like when when you think about this for for businesses, and and Goop is obviously a a business as well as you know a content it's a content led business, but when we think about the health of our brand in ten or twenty or thirty years, it's not that speaking to a wide range of people is the right thing to do. It is the essential thing to do. It is the only way to have a healthy and viable brand because quite frankly, I mean, isn't, is it the millennial generation or the generate generation Y that's, that is, will be majority people of color. It's coming. Yeah. I think it's like 2030 or something, something really soon. It's going to be majority minority. Yeah. And so that's, it's like, and I don't think that people understand that. I don't think that they're, that they're in the context of like companies that are primarily led by white men in particular. I don't think that they're understanding that the consumers of their brand are not going to find themselves reflected and that the health of their company requires evolution. This is who we are and this is how we need to live. And this is this needs to not be about numbers so much as an accurate reflection of the world. Some, am I articulating myself? Well, yeah, I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I think you're, I mean, you're just, you're basically saying what I've been yelling for nine years to Silicon Valley. <laughs> and they, and a lot of people still don't get it. I mean, it's so, it's so heartening to see how many people do get it. You know, I spend yeah. a lot of time talking about the ones who don't. And especially these days, I say, I spend a lot of time talking about it. And of course, that's what people want to pick up on. But there, there is so much that has changed. And there is so much that was laid, the foundation was laid way before I came in. And, and just, you know, you, you, you talked about there not being that many women VCs. There actually are. And then really? in the last two or three years, 
that because of everything that you know because the of the me too movement and because of everything that came to light not only in hollywood but in the vc world so many more women were either promoted or started their own funds because they were like i'm done with this like i'm not going to even stand anymore and because that agitation of the soil meant something and what that's what i think is here i mean I don't think this is a direct result of what's going on right now, but I was so, so excited to see just a little while ago that a company called Squire by Black Men had raised a $34 million Series B, just announced, you know, recently. Mm. And these are the types of numbers that happen all the time in venture capital, like every day in the newsletters, but they don't happen to Black founders. We only have them every once in a while. And with that going on and with people saying we're just going to figure something out you're you're going to you're going to see change you're going to see change and you're already seeing it last year i had the opportunity to list my montecito guest house on airbnb this was part of a special project that airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely it was such a pleasure to get to know my airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. You talk about this extensively too, you know, some of the prevailing myths and this, you know, how much pattern matching there has been in mm-hmm. in the world of VCs of like, it's a dweeb from Stanford or Harvard who drops out of school, lives in his parents' garage, abandons all, you know, and that's a, a myth that, so people then look for, sort of Mark Zuckerberg clones, right? Or Steve clones. And that's been debunked. I mean, those guys either had family money in order to support them while they undertook. I mean, it's just it's just limited, right? It's a limited view. But that's sort of how VC has historically worked. And so until it becomes more reflective as well, you're never going to you need people who understand their community who are under, know how to invest, right? Yeah. I mean, and also it's, it's, it's absolutely right. Like there just can't be this pattern matching for Mark Zuckerberg anymore. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't hold the test of time, stand the test of time. But then you also just have, you simply have, you take away any of all of this we've been talking about and you just simply have brilliant investors or brilliant operators who just want to work they just want to mm-hmm. do their thing and they just want to operate <laughs> and right you you have all this other thing that we have to kind of think about I, I it kind of re- made me remember when I said operator made me remember this picture that Megan Smith who's the former CTO of the country she she uses this in a and in, in her speeches sometimes where she shows a picture of a surgery happen, you know, just from a different angle of a surgery happening, and you see a black man with his arms in the air, sort of like a doctor with his arms uh, as he's just, you know, washed them, and he's standing yep. away from the patient, but he's actually leading the surgery, and it's from years ago because he wasn't allowed to touch the patient, 
Mm. But he was the brilliant mind in the room who made that possible for that patient to live. And I just kind of feel like, I mean, that's just like the politics of that and the and the ridiculousness of that kind of feels not just in economics, of course, because it's 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 everywhere. But we just have people who are just amazing people who like have I keep saying I, I didn't wake up one day saying I want to be a venture capitalist. But a lot of people did. A lot of people did. And they're they just want to do the work of backing innovative founders so we can have companies that reached globally and, 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 and impact globally. And they're just not able to do that as much because either they're underfunded, under-resourced, or they have to spend 80% of their day justifying their existence mm-hmm. or fighting the good fight. And that too is, um, we don't talk about that very often. But that too yeah. is just like we just kind of wanna we want things to be normal too. <laughs> like we don't right. we, we would rather much rather be doing our work than than this. Exactly. Yeah, no, I would imagine. And yeah, everyone wants the same thing, right? Which is peace and opportunity and you know, not feeling oppressed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting too, and in, in I live in a very white community and with the the protests that have happened and it's like everyone it, you know just the uh, how aggrieved everyone is about the helicopters and what's mm-hmm. happening and it's like mm-hmm. now we, like do you understand what it's like to feel to live with this presence in your life all the time like yeah. noise noise and 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 anxiousness and yeah it's like you want peace everyone wants peace that is the whole point that is what's yeah. happening I also love because, you know, you sort of bust this myth despite being able to own it more than anyone, which is that, you know, that being self-made, which is touted is a total fallacy. And I mean, this is you've, you know, I know you don't want you don't like over romanticizing sort of the way that you managed to get where you got. But like you certainly didn't come from means. Right. And had moments of homelessness and we're living paycheck to paycheck like so many Americans and or not paycheck to paycheck. But that even then you're like, this is that's a ridiculous idea that anyone is self-made. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'll be 40 this year in 2020. And for 35 of those years, I had housing insecurity. And I have been on food stamps more than once in my 30s and had a lot of ups and downs and had some great moments, of course, but it, it's, it hasn't been easy. And to, to do what I've been able to do in the last less than five years is just like the book helped me realize how different, you know, different that is, <laughs> uh, you know, going from that to investing in 130 <laughs> companies and doing it all with like no insider network or anything. It didn't even go to college or have that network. But at the same time, I, I just I can't I can't tell you that hey it was all me it was all every every part of that was me you know you we are pieces of other other of the of the people who who have uh, helped us along the way and even people who feel like well the world is not being kind to me I, I felt like that many times but I have to recognize that I've had friends along the way who couldn't put me in a mansion but they could make sure that I ate that day 
And I've had my mother and my brother along the ride the entire time. So it wasn't like I was there all by myself going through this. They were going through it too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in my mother's case, she was going through it older. Obviously, that's how it works because your mother's usually older than (laughs) you. But she was going through it after, after, you know, at, at at an older age. And that to me that that that's, you know, that's the hardest part of all of it. It just was such grace and, and both of them were such grace. And it's just now it's the last five years. It's the investors who have believed in me. It's the founders themselves. Even though I was putting the money into their companies, they had to believe in me as someone that they wanted along for the ride because I, I stand to make money from their success. And I have a lot to say along the way and they are associated with that. And it's my teammates at Backstage Capital and at other companies that I run. And it's it's just something I just wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly understand and, and believe. And that's not to say, I mean, there's a, a wonderful movie called Self Made out there right now. And it's not to say that that's wrong, you know, but uh, I just don't know for Self Made and especially, and so it's especially true. If it's true for me and it's a true for a lot of us, it's especially true for these guys who are like put up on pedestals <laughs> because th- does anybody ask when they go out to and do these, you know, these convers they have these big meetings or whatever and like oh my god i can't believe you did that let's talk about how many people work at these companies let's talk about who's taking care of things at home because yeah. most of the guys that i know who have like companies that are like unicorns or even or so billion dollar companies or more or whatever a lot of them have children because they like legacy like the idea of legacy of course they left family i'll give it that but one of them like <laughs> legacy too so, but who's taking care of the kids on a day-to-day basis? Who drops everything? Some of them do. I'm not going to take away from it, but most of them don't. And for any of them to say, I just got here. It was just, it was me. It was all of me. <laughs> it's just yeah. wrong and inaccurate. And I can't, I have this thing in me where I just, I like things that make sense. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I mean, I love that when throughout the book when you talk about like how you what you pattern match for, which clearly mm-hmm. you have in spades, which is, you know, resiliency and grit and adaptability. And those things aren't born out of everything being easy typically, right? I mean, they're they're born of some struggle and I like to is it Natalie Frato that she talks mm-hmm. about like AQ and that we should have that as sort of another mm-hmm. adaptability quotient in addition to like EQ and IQ and all of these other things that we lean on. Yeah. And I mean, how resonant is that in this time, in COVID, in the time of COVID, in the time of the protests to have to think about adaptability quotient as she has laid it out in the book and her own work? You know, I could have I could have never imagined I would be releasing a book during an international pandemic. <laughs> so it's much hard to predict. The tour has not, you know, <laughs> was gone. But we, I talk about the ability to now. I have to be able to adapt quickly, and not only quickly. When I say quickly, sometimes I have to adapt mid sentence. Yeah, because there's so much to take take into account. And I don't often quote Gary Vaynerchuk, but he, he's, he's a friend of mine. I don't often quote him just because he has like this adrenaline and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm just like, you know, I'll 
I'll be taking a nap while you do that. But he knows, you know, he knows what's up. We've talked about it. But I will give him, he posted recently on Instagram. And I love that because he has the, he has the ears and eyes of a lot of young white men. He said, he posted about the importance of being able to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And what he was talking about in this case was there are going to be a lot of people who are kind of stuck in their ways and they almost feel paralyzed to change their minds or their stance on something because they have been a certain way for so long. And he did, you know, he said it's almost, it's almost like a superpower to be able to change your mind. And it's a, it's a very strong showing of emotional quotient and and now adaptability quotient, I think. And then you're going to have these situations where you have someone in your family who is just like, nope, that's just the way it is. I can't believe this is happening. These protesters are interrupting my, you know, whatever show. Right. And I I love that, for instance, about my mom. She's 71 and my mom can change her mind. And you always say, oh, well, they're, they're stuck in their ways or whatever. But she can change her mind based on the information that has been presented to her on most things. By the way, she one of those things that she will not change her mind about is her love of certain actors and actresses. Uh, <laughs> Gwyneth being one of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but my mom, what she does is she has a group. So she loves Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jada Pinkett, all these people, right? But because she doesn't necessarily need to like address them, she'll say that little girl. And when she said that little and Nicole Kidman. And when she says that little girl, she means one of those five people. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. Who's that little little girl? Put that movie on. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Acer is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Tumi's signature. Shop the full Acer collection on Tumi.com or at a Tumi store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So in your own life then, like how have you... Besides overcoming what you have, you know, and like in the process of becoming what you have gone through, how have you maintained that flexibility of thought and approach? Oh, well, I I just I have a lot. I I have a lot of I, I like a lot of different topics and I like to be around a lot of different types of people. And that keeps me flexible. And I just know that I I mean, I am very confident but I also know that I don't know everything. I don't know everything. There's, it's impossible for me to know everything. It's impossible for anyone to. I am the kid who would listen to, I would come home from, you know, seventh grade or eighth grade, and I would listen to Mariah Carey and Garbage and Celine Dion and The Carpenters <laughs> and Tupac. And, you know, and, and Kitty, and, you know, I would just, I was in, in Vivaldi. I would, I just like all sorts of input. And I, I like to keep myself around people who think differently. I went on this sort of, I had this thesis for a little bit where once I had a little bit of money, I would only back, like I would only, I would fi- find out how to back podcasts and other like media 
where the people who were talking had like I didn't agree necessarily with what they're saying Mm. and I just did that as an experiment because I'm like they have to be able to say it like I I just something within me there and I remember it was a few years ago it was probably seven or eight years ago I don't know how long it was but I remember I wrote this medium article where I said these are four things or three or four things I got wrong like in public I got wrong I got these things wrong and I want to talk about them and they were things that if I went back 15 years or 12 years, you couldn't tell me that I would change my mind on that. I wouldn't have believed you. I would have been like, okay, you know, but I wouldn't have believed you. And they were they were big changes and difference. And it was just me evolving and me learning more and me seeing more. And some of it was deep and some of it was not as important. And I just, I think that's why I have such high standards for people (laughs) because like I'm doing it too I'm not just telling you to do it I feel like I'm doing it a friend reached out to me a few months ago who actually worked for backstage at the time because it was she was a consultant and she said you know this is when uh, unfortunately the uh, the massacre happened in New Zealand with Muslims Mm, yeah she reached out and she said you know and of course I'm watching this happen and I'm probably retweeting something and Whatever, and she reached out. She said, "You know, your silence is deafening to me about wow. as a as a Muslim woman." And I was like, "Oh!" And I immediately, and she actually reached out to uh, my the whole team and said that the whole team. I immediately got on with the whole team immediately, dropped everything, and I said, "This starts with me. This was this starts with me because I I lead here, and if I if you weren't seeing me do it, then I take the blame." And we immediately said, what do we do and, and what can we do? And then instead of waiting for her to tell us everything, went on and started talking about it and bringing it to light and saying, you know, I think I even shared her message to me and screenshotted it on, you know, across social. Mm-hmm. It can be done. You can figure, you know, you can do more than you're doing today, even if it doesn't affect you, your day to day life. You can, yeah. you can empathize. You can look around and see we're only here for so long. I know. In this Seriously. body, we're only here for so long. We yeah. have to be able to to get along with each other and adapt with each other. One thing, too, that I was curious about and the way that you describe your childhood and, and being raised Jehovah's Witness and then leaving Je- that the religion. And one of my really close friends had a similar experience in his life, which def- certainly made him feel other. And then you're obviously highly intersectional, right? So do you think that part of it too, your ability to adapt and be flexible is because you were never fixed? You were never sort of highly identified as one one thing? That could be it. Sure, it could be. I think that, you know, you'd make a great therapist. <laughs> um, Thank you. I think <laughs> it's probably that. And I also think though, that I, I've never felt like lost in my identity, even though yeah. it, I am, it is nuanced. I've never felt lost in it. I, for instance, left as a witness as a very young teenager when you wouldn't necessarily know, think that I would know to leave. I left because I knew what I didn't believe. I knew that from a very young age that I did not believe in what they were saying. And I've always been very centered in that. And I've always felt at, but to your point, I've always felt at once belonging to everyone and belonging to nothing because mm. I could 
and I could go to any group and, 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 and walk up to any person and, and feel like, like in school, I was, I didn't have a group. There was no one that I could sit with and say, oh, they're like me. So I'm going to sit with them. I yeah. know, but I could go to any group and say, you know, hi, <laughs> you know? And so it is a little bit of a, a combination of all of that. It's, but it is in that flexibility that I noticed very early on. I also think it probably has something, something to do with my mother's influence because my mother grew up in Jackson, Mississippi in the fifties and the sixties. And she is the very first person. Now I'll say she, she has been called every name you can be called. She has had people spit on her. She has had people do much, 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 much worse to her as white men. And she was the very first person to tell me, that you don't trudge, you don't judge someone based on their race. Mm-hmm. You don't judge them based on how much money they have. You don't judge. You start them at a hundred points, and they have to figure out if they're going to lose those points. And mm-hmm. I've never lost that. And I, it's something. I don't know where she got it from. I, I, I'm even more curious about how someone who grew up in that circumstance could grow up like that and have that opinion and be yeah. so curious about the world and so open to different things. It's it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And also just, you know, as a parent, and I have two boys. And now, you know, I think we're so as I can just say this as a mom, there's so much anxiety about like, will your kids be accepted? And I think part of what happens then is that you're you're essentially saying, let my let the way that my kids are accepted define who they are. And let other people rush in to assure that my kid is okay. Mm. And I think it just cuts, it can cut you off from feeling like the way that you felt like I'm good. You know, I know what's (laughs) true for me. And that's so, so powerful. Yeah, I was definitely like a little weird kid. And I was definitely like, I I had a lot of, a lot of, you know, depression issues and all of that. But I've I can't remember a time where I wasn't like, Oh, you're not going to tell me that I'm not good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember, you know, way, way back. I'm like, no, I had a sense of self for a long time. And for your mom to let you have that space, I think is amazing. And to not be rushing in to be like, it's okay, it's okay. So when you look ahead, sort of this moment in time being quite powerful and the beginning of what is hopefully a very prolonged movement, and you think about your fund and you think about like what what are you what using your VC hat like and your ability to predict the future what do you imagine like what do you what do you think is what do you think that we're going to see well i think that we will see a lot more people who have power that and that'll be very different looking than how it's been the last 75 years and I don't, and i don't mean that to say that we're that there will be no white men in power because I think I, I, I think about diversity as this true nature, which is true diversity. Yep. Diversity isn't five black men. That's not diversity because right. that where's the diversity there? It is all of us working together. I have a very Pollyanna idealistic way about me. And and I know that surprises some people, but it's true. And I think though you're gonna I as I say in the book, you know, someone said to me on Twitter a long time ago, or not a long time, but some time ago, that I was not a new kind of gatekeeper. I was a key maker. 
And I think you're going to find those key makers every, everywhere you go. There will be a lot of restructuring of who has power, influence, capital resources. And as that happens, it'll be more and more, uh, you will have some, some peaks and valleys, of course. You will still have that. I don't know if that ever goes away. But you'll start to see it even out just a little bit more than it has been. And there, and there lies a lot of power, especially if, if those come together. Now, Dr. Pamela Jolly said on my podcast once, rich people own things and collaborate. Those are the two things. She's an expert on economics. And I think you're going to see a lot of collaboration. I think you will. It's going to be, it's going to be more of a fight before then, but it'll be a lot of collaboration. And, you know, for, when it comes to my fund itself, we've had, even though I've raised millions of dollars, uh, it has been, it has been $25,000 at a time. You know, it has been yeah. kind of some, some guys, one round of funding basically is the last nine years of my life. I think that starts to change. And I think that becomes more and more capital under management, which means I can do a little bit more than than even I've done now. And I can catalyze others. And, I, and I'm going to be looking to the crowd. I recently announced a syndicate where other investors can come together and invest alongside me so that we can have like million dollar checks into our companies rather than 25k checks and 100k checks and that means something in this world of startups it means a great deal who has the power to invest who's getting investment who can compete that means so much and that translates to main street totally and do you because i i sort of do you imagine that there's a shift where you sort of touch on this at the end but that sort of average people who are not VCs, but that they can, and I guess in, in doing a syndicate, like what's the minimum, what's the minimum amount? Like, do you think that more people, more individuals yeah. will start to get involved in, in oh, VC? Oh, sure. So, so I don't know if they're going to get involved in VC. I mean, I got, I became a venture capitalist because it was really, I studied all types and this was the way that I was going to break in. But I really enjoy being an angel investor. And I think mm-hmm. anybody can be an angel investor. There, there, you know, in the United States, you can be an accredited investor and you make a certain amount a year and you can look that up with, you know, what those terms are, but you'd make a certain amount per year. And that's why you're an accredited investor. You can invest in almost anything, including our syndicate. And then there are now new rules and regulations that allow you as a non-accredited investor, you can be making any amount to put as little as $100 into a company and you own it. So you think about crowdsourced funding, but not for a t-shirt. Instead, it's for ownership in these companies. So that opens things up and that opens things up in a very interesting way that I am bullish on. And I think I will be playing in these different buckets because you can't just do it one way and, and succeed. I will be doing that on the VC side because I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I know that they want me to, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep talking, keep speaking out, and I'm going to keep doing that while backing that up with here are here are the receipts, here are here's the traction that I have, here are the companies that I've found that go on to do well, here are the bigger and bigger and bigger checks I can pull together. And then at the same time, we'll be looking at how do I how do I get more and more people the ability f- so that we can have more people who who uh, are are dispersed, 
who can write those checks even if they're at a hundred dollars so we can have more of that you know and i i think that that's like the I think that's the future of things. And I'm very, very excited about it. But the thing is, the future is the future. Today, how you become a stakeholder, you're not a shareholder, but a stakeholder in a company or in in underrepresented founders or however you want to look at this, is you become a customer. Today, you can become a customer. And you, by doing that, you're, 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 policing you know what's the word you're like showing your policy and your your politics with your bank account you're saying i'm going to put my money behind these founders i'm going to put my money here and i'm going to take my money out i'm going to divest out of this other thing that i don't believe in and i don't think that they should have the power that's very powerful anybody can do that today thanks for listening to my conversation with arlen hamilton To learn more about Arlen's work, head to BackstageCapital.com and make sure to get a copy of her book, It's About Damn Time. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.